I found out that some of the world's most advanced medical technology is in the area of internal scanning, okay? There's this thing called a PET scan. I'm sure that you've uh, heard of that. But it uses radioactive material to kind of trace around your organs and takes pictures of uh, what's going on and how they're functioning in real time. I had to look it up. It's a positron emissions tomography pet. I thought it was like a puppy, but uh, um, you lay down on this narrow bed and it slides you into this tube, right? And it takes uh, pictures of your insides at work, 3D images of your organs at work. Now, you might remember way back in King David's time in the Psalms, King David wrote the 139th Psalm, which is a favorite of many people. And at the end of that Psalm, King David said this, search me, O God, search me and know my heart. Okay, and um, know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me. Search me. Search my soul, my thoughts, my feelings, and my choices, my will. See if there be any wrong way in me and then lead me in the right way or the everlasting way. King David was kind of asking for like a PET scan of his soul. Search me. Know the way I think. Know the way I feel. Know the way I make my choices in life. And see if there's something that needs to be adjusted. And um, take a PET scan of my soul. So this week, of course, leading up to Thanksgiving, when we all celebrate Thanksgiving, and originally um, Thanksgiving was uh, this time to stop in America and to uh, recognize God's uh, hand in giving us the blessings that we have and so forth. But long before that, um, thanksgiving, thanksgiving was a significant part of life between God and his people in the Old Testament. Leviticus chapter 7 actually spells out a special sacrifice of thanksgiving that was to be included in the special uh, days of um, thanksgiving, the special days of feasting. And I think um, when you think about this, uh, all the way back in uh, 1 Chronicles 29 when David had collected money to build the temple and they were having this celebration of praise, uh, David said this, He said, both riches and honor come from you. And I think this is the spirit of thanksgiving you find uh, or you find is missing uh, in the Old Testament. Both riches and honor come from you and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might. In your hand uh, is to make great, to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and we praise your glorious name. But who am I? And what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly for all things initially come from you in the first place? So then David says this, and I think this is a spirit of thanksgiving that we find throughout the scriptures. He says, "Um, for all things come from you 
and of your own have we given back to you. We really have nothing to offer God except that which he has first given us. And how true is that in the spiritual realm that God always goes first. He loves first, he speaks first, he acts first, and we get to respond. And the respond, uh, the response that uh, so often I think uh, God desires is the response of thanksgiving. I think if we were to go to the New Testament, uh, the same uh, spirit is uh, spoken about in James chapter 1. You remember this? Uh, James says, look, don't be deceived. Don't let anybody fool you. Don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every gift that we receive comes from God, okay? Coming down from the Father of lights, uh, with whom there is no variation or shadow uh, due to change. In every good, if every good gift comes from God, if you think about this, many of God's gifts come through God's people. So every time you say thank you to a person for some gift that they have given you, some blessing that has come your way, some encouragement that has come your way, you're really saying thank you, God, because all good stuff comes from God. The deal is that God has gifted every single one of his children to be able to bless other people. And you you know this in the scriptures, that God has blessed us in so many ways, gifted us in so many different ways. We're all different from each other. We all have sort of a, a mixture of gifts that God has equipped us with so that we can be an encouragement to each other and in the world around us. Um, so when anything comes our way, if we just remember and think about it, this has really come from God through you to me. And when I say thank you for it, I'm not just saying thank you to you, but I'm also recognizing that anything good in you, right, has come from God. Anything good in me, if people say thank you to me, I recognize, you know, that's not really me. That's really the Lord living in me, his spirit living in me, that I can do anything of any consequence that's a benefit to the next person. But we need to recognize who the you is when we say thank you. God is giving a gift. There are actually, in that verse, in James chapter 1, there are two different words for the word gift. One just talks about the act of giving it, and one talks about the quality of God's gifts, how God's gifts are perfect. Uh, He is the giver of all gifts. And anyway, I want to suggest to you that we do a sort of internal scan on our Thanksgiving this morning. When David, in the 139th Psalm, asked God to search his heart, uh, he's really talking about his soul. Um, in the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, God, uh, Paul writes to the Thessalonian church and he asks God to sanctify us in our body, our soul, and our spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. And so I think, you know, all of us are made up of a body, a soul, and a spirit. We all know what our bodies are. Our souls, I would suggest to you, are the non-material part of our lives. Our thoughts, our feelings, and our choices, or our mind, our heart, and our will. The non-material part of us, that when we die, goes to be with the Lord. Our soul, right? The non-material part of us. We all have a body, we all have a soul, a non-material part of us, and we all have a spirit. And the spirit is the part of us that connects with God. 
And um, if you think about it, body, soul, and spirit, um, way back in the Garden of Eden, when God came to Adam and he said to Adam, listen, you can have at it in the world. I created all this for you. There's just this one tree in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right and wrong. Um, Don't touch that because in the day that you do, in the day that you do, you will surely die. And I used to ask myself, you know, well, what died? What died on the day that Adam ate? His body didn't die, right? His soul didn't die, still able to interact and think and make choices and so on. Uh, You know what died? His spirit, his connection to God died because of sin. And so when we get over to the New Testament, we read that, you know, when we come into the world, we're dead in our trespasses and sins. We're, we're, we're dead. Our spirit, our connection with God is severed, you know? And uh, yet the Bible says, but God, okay, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ and put his spirit into our spirit to give us new life. And, you know, when you say the gospel changes everything, it really does change everything. When your spirit gets enlivened by the spirit of Jesus, which the Bible says the same spirit that brought Jesus back from the dead lives in each of us who are followers of Jesus. And our spirit then begins to influence our thinking. And our, our spirit, animated by the spirit of God, begins to change the way we feel about people, about ourselves, about the world we live in, about the purpose of life, changes everything. And it changes the choices we make, and it changes how we use our bodies and how we think about them, and so forth, and how temporary they are. Um, The the spirit of God animating uh, our spirits, and with a new spirit, our soul begins to change. The Apostle Paul said it like this in Galatians 2.20. He said, I, the old me, Paul, am crucified with Christ. I'm, I'm done. I'm dead. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, he says, I live. And then he says, not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. Um, Now, when that becomes our personal experience and we begin to realize that that's what's happening to us, that we are, in fact, being transformed and we are, in fact, becoming more like Christ and we begin to become increasingly thankful, not just for the things that God brings to us and the blessings that God, but for Jesus himself moving into our lives and changing us. I am not the person I used to be. And I like this person much better than I like that person. And it's actually happening. God's spirit is actually changing us. And when we take a scan of our thanksgiving, we're looking to see, I want to suggest to you this morning, if we can find a thing that the Bible calls contentment. When we take a scan of our thanksgiving, can we find inside that thanksgiving what the Bible calls contentment. It's a kind of internal, quiet spirit that uh, is surrendered and delights in the will of God. Contentment. Delights in what God is doing in us, changing us from what we were to become increasingly more like Christ. Surrendered delightfully to God's will.
a contentment inside about what's literally happening in my everyday life. Now, I think when we talk about God's will, we have to be careful, we have to kind of clarify, because there are several dimensions to the will of God. There's, first of all, of course, God's sovereign will, right? Um, God, you know, has declared certain things that you can bet your life on are going to happen because God's sovereign. He's in control. Christ is coming back. Christ came the first time. There's all these prophecies. God says, this is what's going to happen. That's what happened. God says, these are the things that are going to happen to us in the future. You can count, count on it. You can stake your life on it because it's God's sovereign will. Nothing can change God's sovereign will. But in addition to God's sovereign will, which we often talk about, uh, is God's moral will. We have passages like the Ten Commandments and like the Sermon on the Mount where uh, God reveals his will about what's right and wrong, his moral will. Well, that doesn't always get done, does it? His moral will. It gets done increasingly in people who delight in uh, God's will and in following God's will, but there's his moral will. And then I would suggest to you that there's also his personal will for your life and my life. Remember last week? You don't remember last week. Um, I know you don't, right? When you go to seminary, they tell you, you know, people will remember what you say for about an hour and then it's gone. So last week we talked about Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10 where uh, the Bible says, you know, you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. So if you're still breathing, you've got to know God's got a personal plan for your future. And uh, we want to know, right? We want to figure out what that is, and we want to give ourselves to it when we have this sense of contentment inside. Am I content with what God is doing, how he's shaping me, and, and, and how I'm in his workshop, if you will? And then I think there's a spiritual will that God has for our lives. He wants to develop the character of Jesus. He wants to see the fruit of his spirit actually come out of the pores of our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, you know, self-control are those as the character qualities that's God's spiritual uh, will for us. And so when we talk about God's will, it's got a lot of different dimensions. And so inside of our thanksgiving, is there this spirit of contentment? The word contentment actually means self-sufficient or satisfied. A contentment on the inside, right? Um, here, here's uh, where Paul talks about this. Here, and we're finally getting to the text for this morning. Philippians 4, verse 11. Paul says in Philippians 4, 11, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned. I've learned. The Apostle Paul, he says, I've learned how to be content in every situation or how in every situation to be content. This inner contentment actually is independent of the circumstances around us. But Paul says, you know what? I had to learn this. So older Christians ought to have a sense of this more so than younger Christians. But it's something that we can actually learn. In um, 2 Corinthians and uh, chapter 9, <laughs> Paul puts it like this. He says, uh, God is able, okay, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong place. I don't know. God is able to make all grace abound to you 
So that having all sufficiency, that's what the word means, contentment. So that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul says, I've learned that if you give yourself to God's plan for your life, he will show up with all sufficiency through his grace at all times, in all circumstances, he will be there with us. And so in our ongoing pursuit of godliness or Christ-likeness um, or thankfulness, we can again uh, triumph in this because the Apostle Paul uh, tells us, and you know, um, this is a great passage of scripture if you think about this. And Paul tells us, you know, hey, follow my example. Paul again gives himself as like, hey, uh, if you really want to uh, do this, in, in verse 9 of uh, Philippians 4, he says, what you've learned and you've received and you've heard and you've seen in me, practice these things, right? And God will be with you and give you peace in the way that he's given it to me. You know what, that's an invitation to be mentored by the Apostle Paul. He's saying, look, just read, just see what I did and follow my lead. You know, how would you like to be mentored by the Apostle Paul? Some people think that, you know, we have to be mentored by somebody who's alive. But the truth is, there's been a lot of great people who've written a lot of great stuff. And the first one is the Apostle Paul. And we can be mentored by him if we simply follow his lead. So inside a thankful lifestyle, I want to suggest, is a spirit of contentment that's learned. Okay, it's not automatic. It doesn't just come to us. In fact, I would say it's a kind of a, a mystery. It's a, a, a contentment that's uh, satisfied and, and content within myself. It's available, but it has to be attained. Sometimes I think when I sit here in church, and I watch Laura play the keyboard, I say to myself, you know, I wish I could play the keyboard. I wish I could do that. But I would have to learn it. And I don't want it bad enough to go after it. Because when I was a kid, I had the opportunity, but I didn't practice like Laura did uh, and learn it so that I have it now, right? And so contentment is one of those things. You can kind of limp along in your Christian life and just be kind of thankful on the outside or kind of fake it. But there is a contentment available if you're willing to learn it. That God wants to give us a fullness of uh, contentment on the inside. But it comes from learning. Uh, Paul said the same thing about peace. You know, he said there is a peace that passes understanding. There is a way to be at peace with God and at peace with yourself and at peace with the world that people just can't understand it until you experience it. And he says the same thing about this uh, contentment. And I think he gives us a clue uh, here about contentment. Uh, if we say, well, how, how do I find this contentment? Um, look what he says, the next verse. He says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret, Paul says, or the mystery. It's, it's God has a mystery. It's not just, you know, on the bottom shelf. It's got to be learned, got to go after it, got to want it. But Paul says, I've learned the secret or the mystery of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. And then he says this, I can do all things through Christ, right, who strengthens me. 
we can't do this in ourselves. This isn't a matter of talking to ourselves or pulling us up by our own bootstraps or all that kind of stuff. This is something that can only come to us in Christ. And uh, that's why this morning we talk about the preeminence of Christ. He's the only begotten Son of God, and he's the only one through whom we can do what Paul is inviting us to experience here. Contentment isn't found, you know, uh, in the outside, but it's found in the person of Jesus, not found in ourselves. It's found in getting closer to Christ. Do you remember when John the Baptist said, he must increase, I must decrease, right? Paul recognized, you know what, um, I died with Christ on the cross, and, uh, but I've been raised with him, and he now lives in me. Uh, strictly speaking, I think contentment can only be applied to God. God is the all-sufficient one, right? He describes himself. But God is pleased to uh, share his fullness with us. Um, I think in Second uh, Corinthians again, and uh, in the third chapter, the Apostle Paul is again writing, and uh, he says in verses four to six, he says, such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we're sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us competent to be ministers of a new covenant, the gospel, uh, not of the letter, but of the spirit. The letter kills, but the spirit gives life. God is pleased to take his fullness and share it with us to the point where we become, like him, a minister of the gospel, competent to share with people the good news of what God has accomplished through his only begotten son. This is such good news. It's such a, a great thing to be thankful for. Uh, God is fully satisfied in himself, and it pleases him to give of his fullness to us. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, um, says uh, this, And from his fullness, from God's fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. We've all been given of the fullness of God, grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. When we say grace, right, at the Thanksgiving table, if we prepare ahead of time, and I always have to think about this ahead of time because on the spot, you know, it doesn't all come back. But if you take some time to just focus about all the different ways grace has touched your life, grace upon grace, so that we might enjoy uh, the fullness of God. And then... Um, I would suggest to you in, in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, we have even a further encouragement. 1 Timothy 6, 6, again, Paul is writing to his younger uh, mentoree, if you will. Paul is mentoring younger Timothy, his son in the faith. And uh, in verse 6 of chapter 6 of Timothy, listen to what he wrote to, to Timothy. Paul wrote to Timothy, he says, Now, there is great gain in godliness with contentment. There is great gain. God has something special for you. There's a secret behind it. You have to learn it. But the truth is, there is a huge gain when your thanksgiving has contentment on the inside. 
that we're not just scrambling around looking for things to be thankful for, but on the inside, there's, it's generated by this source of contentment. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. And again, I think we have a clue as to how do you get this contentment, Paul? How did you learn it? Well, I think he gives us a hint. For we brought nothing into this world, and we're not going to bring anything out of it. Paul puts our focus on eternity. He puts our focus on the future. He says, think about this. You came into the world with nothing, and you're leaving with nothing. Unless you have contentment. Unless you allowed God to touch your life with eternity, right? There's great gain in godliness with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world. We can take nothing out of the world. But if we have food and clothing uh, with these, we will be content. So again, um, Paul talks about contentment being inside of our uh, thanksgiving. And as followers of Jesus, when we're surrendered to him and conforming to his likeness, contentment is what we should be finding inside. Uh, And when it's not there, we're kind of complaining and crabbing and murmuring, as the Bible would call it. You know, kind of like if you think of the Israelites as they went through their experience, not really being too thankful, wanting to go back to Egypt and all of that. And if we're trying to conform, you know, to Jesus on the outside, but we don't have this sense of contentment about it on the inside, uh, Paul would say, you know what, God has more for us than that. Uh, He has a genuine uh, desire to make us content on the inside. And, uh, you know, so sometimes you come up a verse like, uh, up against a verse like in 1 Thessalonians, uh, chapter 5 and verse 18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. Paul writes to the Thessalonian church, he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ for you. And I'm like, all circumstances? I read a verse like that, I stop in my tracks, I say, how do you get to that? How do you get to that point? How do you get to the point in maturity and becoming like Christ that you can give thanks, having such confidence that God is at work in you and that his spirit lives in you and that he's, uh, we're his workmanship and we trust him and so that whatever situation in, we're able to give thanks. Uh, and again, I think, Paul, one of the ways that we can gain that contentment or learn that contentment is to kind of compare the blessings that God has promised us in the future with whatever it is we think we lack in this life. Um, Whatever it is that we think we lack uh, shrinks when we begin to meditate on or focus on uh, all that God has promised us through grace and truth, through his forgiveness, through our salvation, uh, through eternal life. I mean, when you think about some of the promises, I just uh, I think about uh, that we're promised a new body, right? When we uh, get to the other side. Uh, We're promised, uh, you know, uh, that we'll be able to worship around the very throne of God. We're promised that we'll see Jesus face to face someday. We're promised that we'll be reunited with the people that we love uh, who uh, trusted Christ over the course of their lifetime. And on and on, these promises just mount up. And the question to ask is, would we trade anything that's ours in Christ to have something more in this life, this temporary life? Uh, Ephesians, you know this, Ephesians uh, chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
And then he goes on and, and talks about some of those spiritual blessings. Would anybody here trade what God has promised us in heaven for something to be different down here in this life? One of the ways we learn contentment, right, is to simply uh, compare what God has promised. You might remember that old hymn, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has actually done uh, on our behalf. Uh, Martin Luther once said, the sea of God's mercy should swallow up all of our particular afflictions. And uh, Jesus himself, right, when he came, he said, uh, the birds of the air have nests, the fox have holes, but the son of man has no place to lay his head in, in this world. There was no room for him in the inn, right? And so when these kinds of things come our way, um, contentment is something that uh, needs to be learned. We were uh, having dinner with some friends of ours, um, you know, the other night, and uh, they've gone to Guatemala 15 times, and they've adopted a Guatemalan orphan, you know, and they live with contentment. Go on a missions trip and come back, you know. Uh, one time my dad was very sick and uh, I flew to be with him and I took him to the veterans hospital, brand new veterans hospital, had this huge foyer bigger than the sanctuary here. I was devastated by all the broken and disfigured bodies I saw at that hospital. You know, contentment all of a sudden came into my life at a new level that I hadn't been exposed to before. And so contentment is learned. It's learned through the experiences of life and how we interpret them if we allow the scriptures to uh, determine our interpretation of those events. If we could do a PET scan on our souls this morning on Thanksgiving, what would we find on the inside? Would we find contentment? a peace in our inner spirit that comes from God, but is learned as we experience life. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that, uh, you know, you're not satisfied with us just kind of filling a routine or pretending or doing stuff on the outside. You tell us, Father, that it's uh, the gospel uh, it's through the gospel that the spirit comes into our life and the letter of the law kills, but the spirit gives life from the inside out. And I'm so thankful that the Apostle Paul tells us about this uh, subject of contentment. There's more, Father, for us that you want to give us. It's a mystery. It's a secret that Paul discovered. And uh, it's not just going through life trying to act like a Christian, but it's actually experiencing your presence in our life and being able to live from the inside out. Thank you, Father, for this uh, uh, kind of you hold it out in front of us, contentment, and that it's an increasing, growing thing as we learn uh, more and more all that you have for us through Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.